0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this edition, 17 states have weighed in with U.S. Supreme Court saying they support the lawsuit by Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, who is seeking to sue four battleground states for violating the Constitution in the November election. The suit is getting support from Republican lawmakers on Capitol Hill as well. Congressman Mike Johnson, the outgoing chair of the Republican Study Committee, who is leading the effort, joins us in just a moment. On Monday, after repeated encouragement from the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom and others, the State Department announced it was designating designating Nigeria as a country of particular concern, along with nine other countries. What does that mean and why does it matter? Leela Gilbert, Senior Fellow for International Religious Freedom here at the Family Research Council, joins me to explain. And yesterday, another church in California was found in contempt of court and fined $55,000. Why? Because they met in violation of the government's coronavirus restrictions. The pastor, Mike McClure, said, quote, I understand what the laws are, but there's a bigger law, end quote. So will the church continue to meet? Pastor McClure. Joins us later here on Washington Watch. And you may have seen this in the recent senatorial debate in Georgia between Senator Kelly Loeffler and the Reverend Raphael Warnock, where he said he is a pro-choice pastor because he believes that a hospital room is way too small for a woman, her doctor, and the United States government. Question, can you be a minister of the gospel and a promoter of abortion, too? Hmm. David Clawson, director of Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview, joins me for that conversation the website tonyperkins.com if you're on parlor it's at t perkins. let me uh, once again remind you through the end of the month we have some generous supporters who have put forward a one million dollar challenge match so everything you give effectively will be doubled between now and december 31st and we've got members of our team standing by to take your call today if you'd like to call in and pledge to support frc and Washington Watch. Call 800-225-4008. That's 800-225-4008. Or you can go to TonyPerkins.com. Also tonight, Pray Vote Stand, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Join us for a time of prayer. Ryan Tucker with the Alliance Defending Freedom, who's actually representing churches, out in Nevada, was at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals yesterday. Uh, He'll be joining us, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills in California. He'll be with us, as will Pastor Carter Conlon of Times Square Church. Again, that's at 8 p.m. Eastern Time tonight. Go to PrayVoteStand.org. All right, as I mentioned at the top of the program, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton uh, has uh, gone to the Supreme Court saying that four of the battleground states have violated the Constitution, Article 2, and the 14th Amendment in the November election. Well, 17 states have weighed in, saying they support this effort. Additionally, Republican lawmakers are getting behind the suit. Leading that effort on Capitol Hill is Congressman Mike Johnson. He serves... As the congressman for the 4th Congressional District of Louisiana, he serves on the House Judiciary Committee and is the ranking member of the Subcommittee on the Constitution, Civil Rights, and Civil Liberties. Mike has been handling high-profile court cases as an accomplished lawyer for the past 20 years, and he joins us now to talk about it. Uh, Congressman Mike Johnson, welcome back to the program.
0: Hey, Tony, it's always a blessing. Thanks for all you do.
1: Well, uh, Congressman, you know, the, the media is... You know, I'm I'm actually they're giving some attention to this, but in a dismissive manner, saying this is uh, outrageous uh, last minute attempt, uh, you know, a Hail Mary uh, for the Trump campaign to try and stop the um, declaration of Joe Biden as uh, president. Uh, Let's talk about the suit. What's behind it? And why did the Texas attorney general bring the suit?
0: Well, I, for them to say it's it's a, a Hail Mary pass and a last-minute effort is is sort of comical. We just have been dealing with this for uh, a month now since the election, and it's been a lot. There was a lot of irregularity, fraud, and, and hijinks, let's be frank about it, all around the country, and it, it takes a while to digest all of that. An election uh, fraud case, an election irregularity case, is a notoriously difficult thing to litigate. It, you, know, you and I have talked about this before. It, it takes – uh, a Herculean effort to assemble the evidence, uh, put it in a format that is presentable to the court and, and make the requisite arguments. It's of course even more complex when you're doing it in so many different jurisdictions simultaneously around the country in a national election. So um, the, the timing here is, is is arguably the best that it could have been done. The state of Texas filed this lawsuit directly with the supreme court and that's what makes this one unique as the president said today this is the big one um they, they use the original jurisdiction of the supreme court because the rules say that if a state is suing another state or multiple states here you go straight to the court you don't have to go through the, the district and appellate court levels and, and, and be bogged down with all the time and and the politics of all that so um they they filed it uh you know again as you said against georgia michigan pennsylvania and wisconsin on the grounds that they violate the, the Constitution. Three basic arguments. They're real simple. Everybody can digest and understand this. The, the, the Texas is arguing that those states violated the Electors Clause of the Constitution because they made changes to voting rules and procedures through the courts and through executive actions, but not through the state legislatures. And that, under our constitutional framework, is the appropriate place to do it. Secondly, Texas argues. That there were differences in voting rules and procedures in the different counties within the states, and so that violates the Constitution's equal protection clause. And then finally, they just say that because of all those voting irregularities, this time uh, there was there was previous problems, and that that taints the whole election. So uh, th- this is a meritorious case, uh, as you as you've seen, the court has already ordered the states uh, that, are, that are named as defendants to respond by Thursday, and uh, we think there's a real potential here that the court will give this the appropriate hearing and, and uh, review.
1: So the motivating factor here is that you have an attorney general uh, of Texas that filed the suit. Of course, you've now got 17 other states that have weighed in. But the, the, the basic bottom line of this is these states, by violating these provisions, Article 11 and the 14th Amendment, are depriving Texas of representation. So that's why Texas has uh, they, they have skin in the game here. They, they have a they have a legitimate beef And that because these states did not follow, as you pointed out, the electors the way it was done through supposed to be done through the legislature and the fact that in several uh, of these states, there was a a two tiered system of the way the voting was done. And so the laws were lax in certain portions. Um, It was uh, inconsistent and it uh, violated the 14th Amendment. Is that is that accurate?
0: Uh, yes, that's a that's a, a, a way to summarize all of it. The point being that it's just, let's put it in layman's terms, it's just simply unfair. You know, it's a, it's a violation of the Equal, Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution because um, it, it, the voters in Texas and these other states, 17 other states or all of them, uh, were, were disenfranchised, you uh, know, in, in a way because of the hijinks in the other states that were the offending states here. And that, that's the problem. Look, it's a national election. All of our Our votes, a popular vote and through the Electoral College, at some stage, at some level, get lumped in together, and uh, you're diluting the the lawful votes of persons who had constitutional systems in place when you allow this to go on unchecked elsewhere in the country. And look, we're going to have a a landslide of House Republicans who are going to sign on to our amicus brief to support this tomorrow in the court. And, and and we're making a very simple argument on behalf of all the, the, the congressmen here uh, and men and women because we represent untold millions of Americans who are deeply concerned tonight, Tony, as you and I are, with the integrity of our election system. I mean this is about not just one election but about the integrity of the system itself, and, and we have to get the court to give the appropriate, careful review of this. That's what we're asking them for, and I think that's what the American people are owed.
1: Well, it, it's an issue of the rule of law because you have you have a constitution that lays out the rules of the game. And in this election, people or uh, state officials violated those rules. And it, it's, it's very concerning of what the future may hold if we don't address this now let me ask you this question because what we're hearing repeatedly is where's the evidence where's the evidence i mean what kind of evidence are these people looking for because when i look through these these filings there is case after case there is uh uh example after example there are numbers that they're showing the irregularities i mean what do they mean when there, there's no evidence being presented
0: <laughs> well some people are just unwilling to see it i had a Debate with a very well-known national journalist the uh, last hour off the record for about 20 minutes. Who I've known for a long time, and, and he accuses uh, Republicans and conservatives of drinking the Kool-Aid. And I said, I'm, I'm not sure which side is drinking the Kool-Aid here, my friend. Why don't? What are you guys afraid of? I mean, why wouldn't you want the highest court in the land to take a look at all of this? If you think there's nothing there, and there's no smoke and no fire, then then why all the outrage? Why all the the objection to this? Just let it let it go through the process. We have to exhaust. Legal remedy. The, the, Tony, the president called me this morning on my cell phone, early this morning, to, to talk about this. He, he's deeply concerned, and not just for his own benefit. This is not a selfish pursuit of his. He is genuinely concerned, as you and I are, with the future of our election system, with with the people's belief in our in our most foundational institutions. I mean, one of the things that's presupposed in a constitutional republic is you're going to have free and fair elections. This is sacrosanct in our system and in our nation. And if we lose that, we lose the people's faith in that, we're in a right. very uh, uh, desperate time as a, as a nation.
1: Well, again, I want to go back to the, the, the actual issues that have been documented. I mean, there's so many irregularities and they've been enumerated. And, and so I'm not I'm not sure what those who are who are Repeatedly saying there's no evidence. Let the campaign put forth the evidence. These lawsuits are baseless because they have no evidence. It's just it's these uh, you know allegations of fraud. But, but I, I just I don't I can't wrap my head around it. Uh, other than what you just said, they just don't want to see it. It's there. I mean, let's just take for instance in Pennsylvania, where uh, Philadelphia and Allegheny Allegheny uh, counties where they have historic uh, Democratic advantage, they had a different standard for uh, favoring voters in those two counties versus the rest of the state. So it's just like these local officials changed the rules for certain areas that were favorable toward Joe Biden. I mean, that in itself would suggest to me that there's a a failure to enforce a systematic um, upholding of the law and it would disfavor certain voters.
0: There's no question about that, and you can't look at that evidence objectively and, and draw any other conclusion. And that's the point. I mean, I'm just telling you, we're 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 watching this play out with our own eyes. Half the country sees it one way, half the other. And just as so far as our Democrat colleagues here are concerned, and many on the on the on the left. They are just literally unwilling to consider that evidence. They don't want to see it, Tony, because they're ready to move on. They're ready to coronate uh, President Biden and and go on with this. And um, they would just love to wave a magic wand and make all this go away. Uh, But if if they're allowed to do that, then this will be the future of every election in America. I fear that if if we don't hold this in check, if we don't litigate it, then we're in deep trouble.
1: Uh, very we're up against a break here, Mike. So do you you, you think this case has the potential uh, to throw the issue to the Congress to decide who the president of the United States will be?
0: It, it does have the potential to do that. We'll have to see what the Supreme Court does. I don't think they can sidestep their uh, the court's obligation here uh, to duly consider this. So we will see.
1: You feel pretty confident that the court will take up this case or allow the suit to go forward?
0: Uh, I think they're going to be compelled to do it. I really do. And that's why we're involved.
1: All right. Well, I trust your judgment. I've known you for a long time, and you don't play around. Mike Johnson, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thank you, my friend.
1: All right. Well, you know, we've been, we've been looking at the various states and the different aspects, and uh, this one, I've been talking with some folks over the last week about this, and I, I too, think it has um, merit. All right, when we come back, we'll talk to FRC Senior Fellow for International Religious Freedom, Leela Gilbert, about the State Department's adding Nigeria to the list of countries of particular concern for the first time. Why is that important? Well, we'll talk about it. Don't go away.
2: Hey, Matt.
3: Hey, Hannah.
2: What's going on? Why so gloomy?
3: Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it.
2: Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do?
3: Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it.
2: Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out.
3: When did they start? I, I would be so far behind.
2: Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading.
3: Nice. Where can I find this?
2: Go to FRC.org Bible, and you can get started.
3: Where's that again?
2: FRC.org Bible.
3: Got it. Checking it out now.
2: In a recent poll it was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our biblical worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular Biblical Principles for Political Engagement is now available in Spanish. All of these resources are free and available at frc.org worldview. Again, that's frc.org worldview.
1: Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So glad to have you with us. TonyPerkins.com, the website. Uh, Earlier, I I, I said uh, Article 11. I meant Article 2 of the Constitution, talking about the electors. The Constitution lays out how states, who has the authority in the states when it comes to presidential elections. And it's the issue. uh, The issue is that the legislature is the body, according to the Constitution, that sets the rules by which Every state will elect their uh, select their electors and have, uh, you know, determine how the presidential election goes forth in their states. The issue, uh, as was pointed out, that some used the courts to circumvent the legislature. And in other cases, you had elected officials, statewide elected officials who did not have the constitutional authority ex- changed the laws, uh, expanded them. And so that's, the, that's one of those issues in that lawsuit. You know, I, but before I go to my next guest, um, some of you have been with us, uh, it's almost been a year now since we started our two year through the Bible uh, reading program. And it is, uh, certainly it was appropriate to do it this year because this has been a, um, a strange year of uncertainty and unrest. And so it's given us a sense of stability. For us here at FRC, it's been a powerful comfort to be on this journey together. And remarkable to see uh, God's word speak directly to the various situations, events uh, that we've been facing. And I know many of you have been reading along with us and have been blessed by it. If that is you, we would love to hear from you in a, in a week or so uh we're we're going to be airing a, a a special radio program about what God has shown us through his scriptures this year and we want to include you so here's how you do, you do it. just call our comment line it's 866-372-7234 that's 866-372-7234 share with us a brief 30-60 second testimony of how God has revealed himself to you and ministered to you through his word this year, as you've been a part of that reading pro- program, that journey through the Bible. Again, that number is 866-372-7234. Um, if you don't catch that noise, we'll have something posted at TonyPerkins.com. Uh, All right. Unfortunately, over the last year, especially um, uh, over this last year we and we 've covered this uh, quite extensively is the atrocities and the terrorist attacks on Christians and others in Nigeria. Fluani extremist and Boko Haram have been taking hundreds of lives in the country with uh, basically with impunity. but we could be at a turning point uh, after many appeals uh, by uh, Many groups, including the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, which I serve on, the State Department has added Nigeria to its list of countries of particular concern for the first time. America is concerned about the religious terror inside of Nigeria, and this is the first key step, I believe, to holding the government of Nigeria accountable. Joining me now to talk more about this, FRC Senior Fellow for International Religious Freedom, Leela Gilbert. Leela, welcome back to the program.
4: Thank you so much, Tony, and thank you for your work with you, sir.
1: Well, you're welcome. Thank you for that. L- let me ask you this. So why does this matter that the State Department has now designated Nigeria as a country of particular concern?
4: Well, in my opinion, there are a couple of reasons. One is that it simply underscores what we've been trying to say for many years. And, you know, I was working on this from 2006 after I worked on Baroness Cox's biography when she described what was going on in Nigeria there. But another reason is that I believe this opens the door for financial sanctions, et cetera, financial actions by the U.S., and this could really be a game-changer, in my opinion, with the government there, with Buhari and those that he has working with him, because they've been pretty much ignoring everything that's been set up until now. But as this saying goes, money talks, and this could make a difference financially to U.S. aid and other issues that have to do with finance.
1: Yeah, explain that to our listeners, why this is not just, um, you know, an arbitrary declaration saying, well, this is a country of particular concern. This actually means something because it gives direction and instructs our foreign policy and the, the foreign aid that goes into those countries.
4: That's absolutely right. And sometimes even in countries that are that troubled, We have uh, people on the ground there for the U.S. that really don't have a full grasp or maybe a big picture of how bad things are. And so it also underscores for them the consequences that they may have to deal with in in negotiating with the Nigerian government, for example. And I think it, it just makes America an ally of the persecuted. And it it underscores also the religious elements of what's going on there. And that's something that's been overlooked very much by some of our diplomats and and certainly by international organizations.
1: Yeah, they've even uh, Great Britain has, I, I was having some conversations with some of their folks, and they've explained this as being an issue of the Uh, a a fallout of global warming or climate change, uh, that this is a scarcity of resources. Uh, They refuse to recognize the centrality of religion in this conflict.
4: That's absolutely what's going on all over the world, but specifically there, because not only because of Boko Haram, but also because of the Fulani invaders who use uh, climate change and lack of resources as an excuse Diplomatically, for going in and absolutely massacring entire villages, burning churches, and crying out Allahu Akbar as they do it, which seems rather religious, but somehow this is overlooked. And I think it's really timely that the U.S. has finally done this. And I really appreciate uh, uh, Secretary of State uh, Pompeo's activity in this because I know he understands it far better than some other diplomatic people.
1: Yes, he does. Uh, One final question for you. You make references in an article that you wrote recently, a blog post that uh, and you you quote a a friend of ours, uh, Nina Shea, former colleague of yours at Hudson Institute, saying that it's late in the game as the threat of another genocide looms larger every day. Um, Is this is there time to make a difference with this declaration?
4: Well, if it's enforced properly, yes, I think there is. But it's, it's late in the game, as she said, And but I believe it's never too late. So we're playing right. with our brothers and sisters.
1: Thanks, Leela. Thanks for being with us. Folks, stick around. We're coming back with more Washington Watch on the other side of the break.
2: Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision... Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received 616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org/prolifemaps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org/prolifemaps.
4: Oh man.
2: What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed, so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I'd definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download, or search Stand Firm in the App Store.
4: Okay, that's Stand Firm.
2: Yep, Stand Firm.
4: How do you know all this?
2: Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story.
4: Huh?
3: This
1: is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Merry Christmas. Good to have you with us today, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, we've got uh, team members standing by to take your call if you'd like to join us, partner with us in making sure that Washington Watch continues and that Family Research Council stays strong here in our nation's capital as we defend faith, family, and freedom. Give us a call, 800-225-4008. We've got a um, $1 million matching challenge that supporters have put together effectively will double every dollar that you give. So give us a call, 800-225-4008. We appreciate your support. We, we only exist because of folks like you across the country that stand with us. We, we receive no government money, none, zero, absolutely no government money. Uh, it's all based upon what those who care about this country and our freedoms, care about faith and the family, uh, that's who supports us. So give us a call, 800 800- Two two five four zero zero eight. All right. Yesterday uh, in California, another day, another court hearing, another pastor. Senior Pastor Mike McClure of Calvary Christian Fellowship in San Jose. I've actually been to that church before. Uh, they were fined fifty five thousand dollars and held, uh, being held in contempt of court because local authorities. Uh, said that uh, they were violating the coronavirus, coronavirus restrictions, uh, holding indoor gatherings. Now, uh, in fact, we're having pro- trouble connecting with the pastor, but Pastor Michael McClure. Uh, in fact, well, now we have it. Pastor Mike McClure joins us. Pastor Mike, uh, welcome to Washington Watch.
5: Thanks for having me on. Is this Tony Perkins?
1: It is. Welcome to the program.
5: Well, great to to be on. Thanks for having me. Good to good to hear your voice again, Tony.
1: It, it is. I was just saying it, it's been a while, but I, I was at a church, uh, your church, uh, a number of years ago. And I, first off, I want to commend you for for standing uh, firm as a as a pastor and um, you know navigating this very difficult time. Uh, but I was just saying yesterday, you were in court found. Uh, in contempt of court, your church is facing fifty-five thousand dollars in fines. You said you, uh, and it's a paraphrase of a quote you gave yesterday. Apparently, that you know what the laws are, but you, you know that there's a bigger law. Uh, explain.
5: Well, I, I mean, the judges is, is not seeing that the church is you know allowed to meet, and obviously, we've lost the First Amendment, at least in Santa Clara County and probably in California. But it's just being obedient to what God's Word says. And I believe, you know, Hebrews 10 tells us that we need to gather together as Christians, you know, and how much more, you know, it says that we need to do it as, as we see the day approaching, and that's the return of Christ. And I just see, you know, the Bible's given us all these great prophecies about Christ coming again and what the world will be like. And I just, I just think this is a time when we need to get together more than ever, and that's what Peter and John told the Sanhedrin. You know, is it better to obey God or man? You know, you be the judge, but we're going to just speak the things that we've seen and heard. And so as a church, um, they don't want us to gather. They want us um, not to meet at all. I think in purple is, is the state's uh, regulation. is We can't even meet. But, I mean, the Bible tells us that we need to gather together, you know, and, and that's what the body of Christ does, and I'm supposed to enforce um, you know, social distancing and the masks, and uh, I just, uh, I, you know, you recommend it or tell people that they get to do as they want. But you know, I'm not a law enforcement officer, and we have law enforcement officers in the church, and um, you know, they, they're not even enforcing these social distancing laws, and, and neither is uh, I have a neighbor who's head of a planning department in San Carlos, and you know, they're not enforcing these things when they're asked to but they can't because you know the constitution doesn't allow them to do that in private businesses right. and all so they want to send the owners of the businesses or in this case me as the, the pastor to um, to enforce these things and, and 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 if people want to do that that's up to them but you know I'm just called to be a pastor you know
1: <laughs> two issues mike that you bring up here number one is the biblical mandate for church for, for believers to meet uh, th- that's obvious. And I think your your analysis there is spot on. I mean, even more so as we see the day approaching, as we see all these things happening, we need to be together for for encouragement, uh, for for comfort. But secondly, the, the legal aspect of this, we live in a country that has a constitution that has that protects the First Amendment exercise of religious freedom. There is a double standard being applied in many, many states, including your state of California, where certain activities go unrestricted. But you have government officials that want to crack down on churches uh, while other businesses, other activities go uh, essentially unregulated. Was that discussed in court yesterday?
5: No, but, you know, the judge brought up the news, you know, he, he, his his, his focus wasn't so much on on small business or the devastation that this is causing you know we we now know that one out of four adults have considered hurting themselves in the last eight months we know that small businesses are being completely uh, put out almost put out of business in san francisco the headlines i see and things going on is that we're not going to have um
1: small businesses in san francisco
5: But all that was discussed is our baptism that we have, that we're not social distancing, that people aren't
1: wearing masks. Uh, uh, Mike, we're up against a break. Can you hold on? Because I want to ask you another question. Can can you stick with us for just a minute? Okay. Mike McClure, pastor of Calvary Christian Fellowship in San Jose, California, uh, is going to stick around. He, He was in court yesterday, found in contempt of court because their church is meeting in violation of county officials who were enforcing Gavin Newsom's. Uh, coronavirus restrictions. So we're going to finish that conversation that David Clawson is going to be joining me. We're going to be talking about uh, one of the Senate candidates down in Georgia. So don't go away. We'll be right back with more after this.
6: Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled Three Ways to Read the Bible, This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through his word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out his meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read.
7: When President Donald Trump announced his nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, critics were quick to point not to this qualified nominee's record, but rather to her religious affiliations as a reason she ought not be allowed to serve as a Supreme Court justice. In an increasingly secular culture, it is not only the media that views faith as problematic for those appointed to judicial positions. Senators... Particularly, Democrats have inappropriately interrogated nominees with comments and lines of questioning spanning theology, congregation membership, and associations with faith-based nonprofits, all seemingly with the intent to discredit the nominees. Family Research Council recently released a publication addressing this important issue. To learn more about what the Constitution says about religious tests, visit frc.org/religious-tests. That's frc.org slash religious tests.
3: The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash human sexuality.
7: It's beginning to
0: look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look in the five and ten Glistening once again With candy
3: canes and silver lanes aglow it's it's Welcome back.
1: I'm Jody Perkins, and this is Washington Watch. Pastor Mike McClure, Senior Pastor Calvary Christian Fellowship in San Jose, California, my guest, uh, holding over during the break. Uh, Pastor Mike, thanks for sticking around. Um, your church will seat, um, I think you have a capacity, almost 2,000 people, 1,900 people in I think you've been having roughly around 600 people that have been attending in-person services. Is that right?
5: Per service.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got plenty of space there. Um, you know, some people, I guess, continue to watch online. You know, what, what gets me is this double standard. Uh, for instance, you get on an airplane, and I'm on one two or three times a week, and every seat is full. And it's for a lot longer than a worship service, unless it's a Pentecostal worship service. And it, and and so you're sitting elbow to elbow, um, but yet you can't sit in church for sixty minutes, ninety minutes, um, without government officials coming after you and finding you. But to me, that is a double standard. Do you have a problem with that?
5: Well, yeah, I, I, I've been told by the Santa Clara County uh, supervisors when I went to go pray that I couldn't pray in Jesus' name. And they've been pushing against the church for a long time, and now they're inside the church telling us what we can and can't do. And the First Amendment says I have the right to redress. You know, I have a right. Give me an answer to why we can't meet, because the virus is not—it's not killing everyone, and they have everybody scared to death. And they have yeah. this double standard where they let—they let you. You know, even in our our city, we had riots, and that was fine. You can go down there and riot, and you can have a. You know. You see, they call them protests, I call us you know peaceful protest every week, but the double standard is everywhere. It's as if you know um they let uh those that they like get get away with whatever they want. you know if you're in a place of leadership if you're a mayor if you're a governor, you can have a double standard, and it's okay, but if you're a pastor or you're a christian you you know we're gonna hold you to the full extent of the law, and that's the, exactly what I see i think is it's persecution, you know I don't know how else to describe it because there's all kinds of small businesses are suffering and churches are suffering. But, um, the, the double so standard you, else.
1: yesterday, yesterday, you were found in contempt of court. You're facing $55,000 in fines. Will you continue to meet?
5: Yeah, we're going to keep, I, I just can't see not meeting. You know, I told them this is what I see God doing in the church. We had, you know, 55 people baptized a few weeks ago. We had about 45 before that. And, you know, it's kind of like the COVID revival. People are thinking about heaven and hell. They're coming to church. They're giving their heart to Christ. And I mean, we have, I think, over $800,000 in fines from the county, plus now $55,000 fine from the judge. But it's like at the end of the day, the the double standard, it's so evident by everybody, you know, that it's, it's like you have the marijuana, you have the stores open, you have the liquor stores open, you know, you have the hypocrisy from the leaders and it's just at a point where you're not help. I mean, there's, there's, there's not more people dying today of COVID than there were months ago. I mean, the curve has been long gone and these tests that they've been telling and, are are spiking well those are tests those are positive tests but that doesn't mean people are in the hospital but they'll say the icus are overrun. but the people in our church say that's not true and they work in the hospitals so you're getting mixed you know from from the news you're getting uh you know one thing but the reality i hear on the street and from people in our church is something totally different and i just see this as an attack on the church i think what's happening is a lot of this has been building for years as you know um this has been a craziest year but, but the church has got to stand strong. My encouragement to the pastors out there is, hey, it could be, you know, when you get a million dollars in fines, you know, then call me. Uh, but until then, hey, please pray about opening up. Hopefully, uh, if we have everyone in our town open, then they, they couldn't fill the courtroom with all the pastors. You know, that's they're right. going to do this to everybody. And I, and I just think that's it's kind of a selfish thing now. If you guys would open up. You, you'd take a lot of the target off of me. But the truth is people want to hear the gospel. They want to hear. I had a guy yesterday from the media saying, I want to hear more. You know, he asked a lot of questions and he sat there and listened to me without yelling back, you know, for the first time. They're actually even the media people are listening.
1: Well, that's when you know it's serious, when the media actually is listening. Uh, Pastor Mike McClure, thank you for being obedient. Thank you for being bold and, and facing the consequences that come with following Jesus Christ. And uh, we'll be praying for you and hope to see you real soon uh, out there in California.
5: We're looking forward to having you. Thank you, Tony, for all that you do. And thank, thank uh, everyone there at FRC. You guys are awesome. All
1: right. Thank you, Pastor Mike. And by the way, this, this underscores uh, the importance of local elections, you know, because we've had other pastors on, uh, even in California, that are opening, uh, like Pastor Jack Hibbs. Uh, who'll be with us tonight at Pray Vote Stand? And you know they have local officials that are actually protecting them from the government. So this is why we cannot neglect elections. We need to get people elected as uh, a city and city council, as mayors, you know, county clerks, uh, state legislature. You know, all of those positions, district attorney, sheriff, all of those are important. Pray for those pastors. They have the boldness to stand up. Uh, like Pastor Mike and, you know, look, encourage, if you're a pastor, encourage your people to be smart. If they're in a high-risk category, stay home, watch online. Uh, But there are healthy people who need to be spiritually healthy by gathering together as the scripture instructs. Now, some churches that are shut down, it's actually better uh, that some of those churches be shut down because they're not preaching the gospel. Um, But for those that are willing to preach the gospel, open up, preach the word of God. Now, speaking of that, I'm going to transition to another topic here real quick. Down in Georgia, there is a special election that is taking place. You may be, well Actually, there's two special elections, but I'm going to focus on, on one of those elections um, where you have a, a Georgia Senate candidate, Raphael Warnock, who tweeted last month that he was a pro-choice pastor. Now, to me, that's a, a pro choice pastor. I mean, that's an oxymoron. Um, Warnock has made other alarming statements. And in fact, this is a we've got a couple of clips from him. One of them is from the debate he had with uh, Senator Kelly Leffler uh, regarding this issue. Um, Bobby, I think that's play that clip for me. I think it's number one.
6: America, nobody can serve God and the military.
1: No, I was wrong. That was another one. Uh, But that's a good one, too. Um, Go to the next one.
7: I have a profound reverence for life and an abiding respect for choice. The question is, whose decision is it? And I happen to think that a patient's room is too small a place for a woman, her doctor and the U.S.
0: government.
1: Joining me now to talk about this is David Clawson, Director of Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview here at the Family Research Council. David, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me again, Tony. All right. I'm going to just get to the bottom line here. Can you be a, a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and a promoter of abortion? Are those two consistent? In going together
3: they're not Tony. it's, a, it's an oxymoron it's, it's asked that's similar to asking the question can you be a baseball player who's never touched a baseball glove or a world-class chef who only cooks with a microwave it, it's, it's an oxymoron it doesn't work it doesn't make sense and i i saw the, the pastor's tweet last night. it was just five words i am a pro-choice pastor you know, my mind immediately immediately thinks about the political implications and if, you know, he wins that seat. And if John Ossoff wins that seat, Chuck Schumer is in charge of the Senate. But actually, before my mind even went there, Tony, I went to a passage of Scripture. I'm trying to memorize the Sermon on the Mount actually right now. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 15. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And even this morning, I was, again, thinking about this tweet that the reverend put out. And my mind went to James 3.1, uh, where James says that not many of you should become teachers uh, because the, those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And, and so, again, let's just call a spade a spade. What, what Reverend Raphael Warnock, by calling himself a pro-choice pastor, uh, that is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ and something that needs to be called out for what it is.
1: Not only has he taken positions in support of abortion, um, but he has taken other positions, articulating those in this election in support of behavior that is antithetical to biblical teaching. Yeah. Uh, how can how, I mean? I, I, I struggle with that. If you if you are if you if you actually say that you. Uh, are a preacher of the gospel, that you are going to teach the Word of God? How can you hold political positions that are inconsistent with the teaching? The clear. Now I'm not talking about in the penumbra, the shadows of the Scripture. These are clear teachings of the Scripture.
3: There, are, no these these aren't issues such as you know debating the merits of a capital gains tax or a payroll tax or something that you know good-meaning people can disagree on. These are issues where there's a clear "Thus saith the Lord." We have chapter and verse to point to. Uh, abortion is the the, the primary one. Uh, Psalm 139, Luke 1. Many verses that show that the, the Bible affirms the person of the unborn. But take religious liberty, for example. Reverend Warnock is on record saying that if he goes to the Senate, he's going to uh, vote in favor of the Equality Act. You and I have discussed this before. The Equality Act would enshrine sexual orientation, gender identity, into federal law, into uh, a, a protected categories such as race and national origin. which And also, while well, gutting the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, putting all people of faith at a, a massive disadvantage. And so that, that's what the reverend's doing. He's running on a platform that opposes the word of God that he professes to preach in his pulpit week in and week out. And that's a massive disconnect that needs to be called out.
1: There are, there's a root to this. I mean, when we, we, we see this, I mean, when you, when you see someone that has the title reverend, I mean, a pastor, I mean, I'm naturally I'm inclined to be supportive of someone like that. Uh, for the most part because I I share a a common understanding, I would think, uh, with someone who has that title. But there is a clear distinction that is taking place in this country that's been long in the making. Uh, When we talk about the church, um, when you look at where the Reverend Warnock went to uh, the seminary and the, 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 the basis of his teaching uh, it's it's inconsistent with Scripture.
3: No, that's right, Tony. And someone who's uh, you know I'm, I'm in seminary, working on my third degree right now uh, at Good Southern Baptists, uh, which are uh, seminaries which are theologically conservative. Uh, I wrote an op ed actually looking at Reverend Warnock because I, I was struck by the same thing you were struck with. You know, he's a reverend, a minister of the gospel, and yet he holds these positions that are contrary to scripture. Well, actually, if you look at where he got his formative theological training, it was at Union Theological Seminary. He actually has three graduate degrees from this school, so this is a school that has deeply formed the Reverend Warnock. And this is a school that is very, very that's being kind, saying they're very theologically liberal. This is a seminary who a year ago they had a, a worship service where students were encouraged to confess their sins to plants. Uh, this is a, the same seminary who last year had a, a chapel service, a, a seminary class where students confessed to a melting ice. I guess the professor was doing something on global warming. Uh, So although the seminary says they're steeped in the Christian tradition, uh, proudly on their website, I was on it the other day, they have Buddhists and Hindus and even students who identify as pagan who who attend this school uh, and who can also be a part of student clubs uh, such as uh, Seminarians for Reproductive Justice, uh, the Queer Caucus, and there's another student group you can join, uh, Queer People of Color. uh, Yeah, Queer People of Color. And so, again, that's the roots of Reverend Warnock's theological training. So in that sense, we shouldn't be uh, actually surprised that he holds the positions that he does. I read your article. It just, it's, it's fascinating to me that you could have a theological
1: seminary in which you would have Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, Unitarian Universalists, um, unless you had a theology
3: that was untethered to Scripture. And that's exactly what it is at Union Theological Seminary. And it's actually been that way since the 1930s. A lot of our listeners are familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who was martyred uh, under uh, Nazi Germany. And he actually was a professor there for just a few months. And uh, I I wrote it in the article. But he went back to Germany and reflecting on his time at Union said uh, that they are completely clueless. Speaking of the students that he saw, they are completely clueless with respect to what theology is really about. They are unfamiliar with even the most basic questions. That was in the 1930s. But, Tony, that's what happens when you're seminary, when you chuck the authority of Scripture, uh, the deity of Christ, uh, the resurrection of Jesus. You you get to holding uh, positions like this that are untethered uh, from anything that resembles orthodox Christianity. Yeah, so true, so true. In fact, uh, in our Bible reading uh,
1: this morning, looking at uh, in Isaiah, where... Um, Isaiah made reference to the coming Messiah as the the cornerstone, the foundation, uh, that the builders would reject, but he was the cornerstone, and that's the the foundation. And if we are uh, to have authentic Christianity the cornerstone must be Jesus Christ and his teachings, and and the Word must be the foundation.
3: Jesus is the foundation. That's why we talk about it with our friend George Barner all the time. That's why it's so important to have a biblical worldview. And it's clear the Reverend Warnock does not have that biblical worldview, and he needs to be called out for what he is, which is a false teacher.
1: David Clausen, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. And, folks, I want to thank you for joining us. And, uh, again, if you've been a part of that two-year through the Bible reading program and you want to talk about how that's blessed you, leave a, leave a comment on our comment line, 866-372-7234. That's 866-372-7234. All right, until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, You've done everything you can do, and you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand.